Hi, everyone. This is Nicholas coming at you with some Taiwan coverage. Taiwan held its eighth democratic election this past Saturday, January 13th. The following is me reading a column that ran on the newsletter. You should all subscribe if you haven't. We've got some great coverage coming down the line. Current Vice President William Lai Qingde of the Democratic Progressive Party will become the next president of Taiwan on May 20th. With 69.24% voter turnout, he won handily with just over 40% of the vote. The KMT's Hou Youyi took 33.49%, while Ko Wanja of the Taiwan People's Party received 26.46%. Meanwhile, the DPP lost control of the 113-seat legislature, falling from 61 to 51 seats. The KMT won 14 seats, from 38 to 52 seats, while the TPP picked up five more, from three to eight seats. So the TPP will have considerable leverage going forward, as the DPP or KMT will need it to hop on any non-bipartisan bill to pass the 57-vote majority threshold. Lai's victory and the DPP's loss in the legislature makes sense. This election was, at least in part, a referendum on eight years of DPP governance, and simultaneously, Ke screwed the pan blue by splitting the vote. Ho and Ke together earned 59.95% of the vote, indicating that voters were interested in a change of administration. But since Taiwan runs a first-past-the-post electoral system, Lai could still take home the victory with only a minority of voters, just as Chan Shui-bian of the DPP did in 2000. Ke was 40 years old on that election day, certainly old enough to remember and internalize that running a third-party candidacy is shooting yourself in the foot. In fairness to Ke, he outperformed expectations. Some didn't think he would capture more than 20%. Anecdotal evidence, ballots are cast anonymously, suggests to me that voters who didn't want more DPP governance, but who would rather not vote KMT, use Ke as a throwaway vote. Also, in terms of social media presence, Ke dominated Lai and Ho, so kudos to his campaign staff. The PRC's Taiwan Affairs Office released a short comment, no pronounced military action yet. It reads, The outcomes of the Taiwan presidential and legislative elections show that the DPP cannot represent the mainstream public opinion on the island. Taiwan is China's Taiwan. This election cannot change the basic structure and development direction of cross-strait relations, cannot change the common aspiration of compatriots across the Taiwan Strait to form closer ties, and cannot impede the inevitable trend of the motherland's unification. Our position on resolving the Taiwan question and achieving national unification is consistent, and our determination is rock solid. We will adhere to the 1992 consensus, embody the One China Principle, firmly oppose the separatist activities and foreign interference aimed at Taiwan independence, work with relevant political parties, i.e. definitely not the DPP, groups and people from various circles in Taiwan to promote cross-strait exchanges and cooperation, deepen cross-strait integrated development, jointly promote Chinese culture, and promote the peaceful development of cross-strait relations in the great cause of unification with the motherland. The most charitable reading of the line that the DPP cannot represent the mainstream public opinion on the island is that nearly 60% of voters didn't cast ballots for Lai. That's true. But Taiwan's democracy is new enough that a substantial number of today's voters were there in the late 80s and early 90s when Taiwan became a democracy, and the people chose a first-past-the-post schema. If they would rather have a different electoral system, they could make a change. In fact, they've done so before. In 2005, the ROC constitution was amended to elect 34 legislative yuan seats via a proportional representation PR party vote, 
not FPTP. That system has been in place since 2008. Notably, the DPP signed onto these voting changes knowing full well it would hurt them in the near term, and it did. The Pan Blue won a supermajority, 86 out of 113 seats, in 2008. As in most elections, the days running up to January 13th were full of pre-election shenanigans. I'll flag two here. First, Tuesday, January 9th, Taiwanese phones flashed a bilingual alert from the Ministry of National Defense, MND, rather innocuously announcing in Chinese, China launched a satellite, Weixing, at 3.04 p.m., which has flown over Vietnam. Everyone, please pay attention to safety. If an unknown object is found, notify the police or fire department so they can handle it. But the English text unfortunately read, Air Raid Alert. Missile Flyover Taiwan Airspace. Be aware. The KMT rhetorically asked whether this alert was misinformation or part of a DPP campaign strategy to stoke fear in the voters, noting the absence of any MND alerts during Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in August 2022, even though actual missiles flew over the island then. The mayor of Taipei, KMT Jiang Wan'an, called for DPP resignations. Is this national alert selling dried mangoes? Selling dried mangoes, mai mang guo gan, is a pun on wang guo gan, which refers to the feeling that one's country is humiliated or defeated. For its part, the MND clarified that it just wanted the public to be aware of possible falling debris, before adding, the alert messaging is based on national security considerations and is processed in a professional manner by a delegated authority. It is not affected by or subject to any party politics. On the mistaken English wording on the specific notification, the MND extends an apology to the public and will conduct an internal review to refine the procedure. And second, Wednesday, January 10th, former Taiwan president and KMT star Ma Ying-jio sat for an English-language interview with DW's chief international editor Richard Walker and probably made Ho want to crawl into fetal position. Walker put together an excellent thread with the highlights. Ma's unusually free-flowing pessimism toward Taiwan's future prospects stunned many viewers. In addition to saying, you have to trust Xi Jinping to manage cross-strait relations and openly doubting the U.S.'s willingness to aid Taiwan in a hot conflict, he said things like, if you look at what I did when I was president, we didn't spend that much on the military because we have established dialogue with the mainland, not just for higher-up levels, but for all the ministries. On China Talk last month, that's precisely what DPP protege Lin Feifan accused the KMT of doing during the Ma administration, prioritizing dialogue at the expense of defense and deterrence, and what Professor Lu Yezhong qualified as an unfair characterization. So it wasn't a good look for a former KMT president to be saying the quiet part out loud. Ma was quickly uninvited from an election eve KMT rally. And to his everlasting credit, Ho told reporters at a press conference that, quote, many of my Ingjio's past positions are different than my own, and promised that he wouldn't touch the issue of unification if he were president. Of course, all eyes were on the CCP for possible election interference. Lai claimed on January 9th that, quote, China meddles every time Taiwan holds elections, but this time it is the most serious we have ever seen. Ho quipped back, do they want to accuse China of election interference again, or is the DPP just using the Chinese Communist Party to scare our people. I was waiting, with morbid anticipation, for some CCP bureaucrat in the Taiwan Affairs Office or United Front Work Department or somewhere to seriously muck it up, as they did in 2016, with a corporate-forced groveling apology of Taiwanese K-pop singer Zhou Ziyu 
or has happened more broadly following the imposition of the 2020 Hong Kong national security law and the death of one country, two systems. Happily for democracy and sadly for our collective entertainment, the CCP's influence over the elections was not obviously manifest in any one-off episode. The DPP's self-inflicted missile alert was probably closer to that. Rather, it seems China stuck to its usual playbook of mobilizing the jingoistic netizens and yelling from the podium. To be sure, the CCP arguably intervened in the short-lived candidacy of billionaire Foxconn founder and KMT nominee wannabe Terry Go, Guo Taiming, when Foxconn suddenly became the target of a Chinese tax probe on Sunday, October 22nd. Guo abruptly canceled his planned appearances for that week. Then, two days before the candidate registration deadline, Foxconn received a chintzy $2,800 fine for overstating expenses. Guo withdrew his candidacy hours before the deadline was up. Too bad the CCP didn't have any strings to pull on Ke's candidacy. Inasmuch as the CCP desperately wanted the KMT to win, Ke Wenzhou was the real spoiler. I still just can't get over Ke's abject stupidity or egotism in refusing to join his ticket with the KMT, and his obvious bad faith in accusing the KMT of doubling the margin of error. That's how plus or minus works. So he could pull out of a KMT TPP's ticket. And with the failure of the blue-white alliance, Lan Baihe, there's now talk of a green-white alliance, Lu Baihe, in the legislature. Just make up your mind, Ke. As an aside, apparently someone at the American Institute in Taiwan, the U.S.'s de facto embassy in Taipei, called Ke to ask if China was really pushing for the Ho-Ke alliance, leading to accusations that the U.S. is the real election meddler. As important as it is, the China angle can explain only so much of the outcome. For starters, the KMT's Ho was hardly a dream candidate for China. For instance, Ho and longtime pro-unification vice president running mate Zhao Xiaokang deemed one country, two systems a failure, with Zhao citing Hong Kong's recent district council elections with no opposition candidates, patriots only in the race, as a prime example. I was overall really impressed with Ho's pragmatism and seeming non-naivete toward China today. So, while China prefers the KMT to the DPP, the candidate China prefers doesn't matter as much to Taiwanese voters as one may think, because fundamentally, China doesn't like either of them. Rather, as David Sachs, as well as Lin Feifan articulated, Taiwan's very existence as an ethnically Chinese democracy is the threat, just as Hong Kong's democracy per se was the threat. More importantly, Taiwanese voters had plenty of issues at home to consider, and as mentioned above, this election was in part a referendum on eight years of DPP governance. A crushing population pyramid, high-priced real estate, bleeding universities and stagnant wages, the length and quality of mandatory military conscription, nuclear power and energy self-sufficiency, and more were top of mind. Further, as Paul Huang wrote in Foreign Policy shortly before Election Day, voters would also be considering various political scandals in their voting calculus. Some notable scandals include academic misconduct among DPP politicians, such as DPP's former Taoyuan mayor, Zheng Wenchan, who was alleged to have committed plagiarism in his graduate thesis and had his degree embarrassingly revoked by National Taiwan University after an investigation. Plagiarism at elite universities having a real global moment. Inexplicably, Tsai Ing-wen promoted Zheng to become the vice premier of the government even after the scandal which certainly did not help the DPP's public image in this election cycle. In another case, DPP legislature named Zhao Tianlin, who positioned himself as a rising star who was tough on China, 
turned out to have had a years-long extramarital affair with a mainland Chinese mistress. The scandal was another humiliation to the DPP, and Zhao was forced to drop out of his re-election campaign. His district in Kaohsiung is now considered a key battleground that the KMT has a chance of flipping. In that race, the DPP candidate who replaced Zhao and ran a 70-day blitz campaign, Huang Jie, ended up winning, beating Chen Meiya of the KMT. Indeed, it seems that voters were largely dissatisfied with the DPP's recent governing record, hence the results in the legislative yen. And absent a spoiler like Ke, the DPP may well have lost the presidency too. Nonetheless, with Lai assuming the presidency in a few months, what will his legacy be? If anything, I'm betting he will make his mark on domestic policy. Maybe he'll work on some progressive social project, like expanding the welfare state, or subsidizing housing, or developing renewable energy. Maybe he'll address the population crisis by finding a way to increase birth rates or opening the door for more immigration. Only he knows. We have a good sense of what to expect from his foreign policy. Exactly what Tsai Ing-wen did while she was president. Tsai navigated eight years of Xi Jinping without any cross-strait dialogue or cooperation, and yet impressively without any conflict. Thus Lai has every incentive to, like Tsai, be moderate and careful in his speech and actions. He won't declare independence. He'll say all the magic words and avoid all the naughty words in official statements. Any trips to the U.S. will be stopovers only. His vice president, Xiao Meiqin, is an experienced American-educated diplomat, and she knows the rules too. If the DPP handles its third term in the executive with as much poise as Tsai, that will go a long way in strengthening the trust the U.S. and other Western allies have that the DPP won't do anything crazy. If the DPP can pull off 12 or even 16 years of uneventful, status quo-preserving governance, the DPP may well prove its platform's hypothesis that a distinct Taiwanese identity, a foreign policy focused on ties to democratic allies, and minimal contact with the mainland demonstrably works just as well or better than the KMT's decades-old approach. Don't be 
Talk to you, I'm just a stranger. 